Hello and welcome to this episode of Triggered and True, featuring renowned emotional health consultant, Laura Duncan. Thank you for being here and thank you for investing the time to learn how to take care of your soul. If this podcast sparks any questions, feel free to submit a question by going to triggeredandtrue.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page and clicking ask. If you would like to learn more about Laura Duncan, we encourage you to follow Laura on Instagram and Facebook. Also, a great resource for you to consider is the Compassion Method Master Course. This course is a deep dive into Laura's life work, the Compassion Method. The Compassion Method is a process that empowers you to learn to see and comfort your internal pain and to discover your true self, your true self, that beautiful, wonderful part of you that has been there all along, but has simply been covered up. To obtain the Master Course, go to CompassionMethod.net and as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount that can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of Triggered and True with, with myself, Brian Frizey and Laura Duncan, emotional health consultant in Redding, California. And today we're going to be talking about something that Laura invented called the remote control exercise. One of the things that you had mentioned to me before about the remote control program is that you, you see it as a way to help remove the barrier that a person could have from receiving love. So if you could maybe expound on that just a little bit. Yeah. So when we're in a triggered state and that's why, that's why you would be doing this because you're in a triggered state. And so you want to be able to walk yourself through this trigger. And a lot of times we're used to staying in our reaction emotions. And so when we get in those places, it's really hard to receive comfort. It's kind of the equivalent if you were in a really, if you were triggered and you were in kind of a fight mode and someone went and get, tried to give you a hug, the ability to receive that hug would be very limited because in that triggered state, you would unintentionally or intentionally push a person away, which means you're ultimately pushing comfort away. So when you turn this around, you do it for yourself, people would get stuck in their triggered state and not be able to bring comfort. So this was kind of like opening up the door of those triggered reactions, those um, bigger feelings to be able to walk through it step by step to find out what we're actually feeling, what we really need, and then uh, most importantly, bring compassion. The image that you used, I think the first time I heard you explain this was the puppy with the hurt paw. Mm-hmm. And yep. the hurt paw, yeah, the puppy that's normally very friendly and lovable and wants to be pet and everything when it's hurting, mm-hmm. it, it bites the hand that's trying to help it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then not only does that not allow us to receive comfort if we're that hurt puppy that's reacting because of the pain, but also it it keeps us from being able to um, receive from others and keep our hearts open to that receiving. So in the compassion method and when you're working with people one-on-one, when do you share this remote control exercise and kind of a two-part question, why do you not share it right away? I usually start this process once people are more familiar with connecting to themselves and walking through um, connecting to child self as well. And the reason why I don't is a lot of times people will take it and try to use it as a tool to fix themselves. And I've said before in previous um, episodes that one of the biggest things with what I do is it's not fixing someone. 
So if someone sits across from me, one of the first things I tell them is I'll ask them why they're there and they'll say, well, I just want to be a better person. And I'll tell them, well, that's you know not what I can help you with because I'm not here to make you a better person. I'm not here to fix you. And it's kind of a little bit shocking to people because that's usually why people get help in the first place is because they think there's a, a problem that needs to be fixed. So with that in mind, if I gave people that this exercise right away, they would use it as a five-step process to fix themselves. So I want to build actually connection with themselves first and rapport with themselves first. So when they do actually walk through this, it's more of a discovery process than a fixing process. It really goes back to the title of our, our episode or of our uh, podcast series, Triggered and True, Mm -hmm. because before you do this, you want to have them get acquainted with their true self. Yeah, exactly. Because their true self made in God's image is perfect. It doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be fixed. How God created them is you know, what we've, what we've talked about in the past, but that's a, that's a really good point. I actually had to remind myself of that just a few minutes ago when I was talking to someone on the phone that was going through a a rough spot. And I immediately was thinking, how can I help fix this problem for them? Exactly. And um, yeah, so it's a good reminder again, for me as well, that uh, we're not in the fixing business. We're in no. Helping people discover who they are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, we we talked a little bit about this in the past too, but imagining most people are like me when I first started coming to you and they are looking for a fix. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had anybody walk in your door on day one that wasn't looking to get fixed? That was kind of, you know, that was a little bit beyond this already. The closest thing I would say is when people weren't as in touch with their emotions, they were coming in kind of because somebody told them it would be a good idea, but they weren't necessarily coming in because they were in a place that they even really like needed it. So they'll kind of have that, they'll put off that feeling of, oh, I'm fine. I don't need anything. But that's, I say a little bit more suppression than actually not wanting to fix yourself. It's just suppression of that. You do have things going on that you're not aware of. So that'd be the closest thing, but majority of the people are coming in, which is not, it's not a, it's not a bad thing to come in because you have a problem because you're trying to get help. That's great. It's just the fixing mentality creates an agenda that defeats the purpose of the compassion method because the compassion method is meant to be felt. It's not just meant to be a process you walk through to get results. And I think part of what can help this is creating a culture where we normalize this conversation. So I think a lot of the reasons people come into you, quote unquote, needing a fix is because they have ignored this issue for so long. Yeah. The, the issues of emotional health and emotional pain, they've ignored that for so long that they weren't going to address it until there was a crisis. But imagine if we created a culture where this was more normalized. Yeah, we, we exactly. We talked about this when we're raising our children. We we helped children process emotions and not see them as the enemy. Yeah, exactly. We wouldn't get to that fixing as a guide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is mm-hmm. a great idea. Yeah. So that's really good. Um, so let's, let's start off with just walking through the steps and you want to just walk through the steps for us of the remote control exercise. The number one step is the the beginning, which is the pause. And that's why I call it the remote control exercise, because we're taking our imaginary remote in our hand and we're pausing what's causing us to trigger. So when people first start out, I just say, what's causing you to trigger. And that is actually meant to be a very small, um, 
space of information where you're just doing the basic facts of what's triggering you. Um, but one of the reasons why this step is so important is because that pause stops the blame cycle. And one of the reasons why this doesn't work when people walk through it is because they're staying stuck in blame. And so we want to be able to stop the blame, be able to pause that person or circumstance, and then put all of our affection on our heart to walk through this process. Because you have to have a hundred percent eyes on you to be able to give yourself the attention and the affection that you need. It's it's not, I tell people, it's not just that blaming's quote unquote bad, and that's why we want to stop it. But every time I blame somebody else, I'm no longer able to take care of myself because my eyes, my focus, my attention is all on that person or circumstance that caused me to trigger. That's a really good point because, you know, going back to some stuff we've talked about before about learning to be okay, mm-hmm. about uh, even when it's not okay all around us. So that blame is essentially we're looking at our external world and saying that we're not okay inside because what's going on outside of us is mm-hmm. is not right. And if we could just get them to stop doing X, <laughs> X Y, or Z, yeah, yep, right, then we could be okay. But the the great hope and the beauty of this whole thing is is that we can truly learn to be okay even when mm-hmm. they don't stop. Yeah, which X Y or Z. Exactly. That's why blame at first. I mean, I'll be honest in my own story. I mean, I love blame. Blame feels so relieving because you can feel this, this kind of ball of pain come up and we don't want to deal with the pain or we don't know how to deal with the pain. And it just feels so relieving to be able to displace that on someone or something else. So really blames addicting because it keeps relieving that pressure, relieving the shame, relieving the blame that we put on ourselves or others so that we can feel better about ourselves in that moment. But I use the example a lot of that whack-a-mole game that, you know, it comes up, you know, we blame this person because of our pain coming up and then we kind of like settle it because we blame that person, but then the pain's going to come back up again because we never dealt with it. We just displaced it on a cir- circumstance or a person. Now it's going to come back up in another area of our life. We're going to whack that down then it's going to pop back up in this other area of life. Mm. And so as you blame, you just keep displacing the pain, but not actually dealing with it. So you get to a place where you're in a constant lifestyle of triggered because you haven't stopped blaming to take care of your pain. No, that's, that's a really good point. It sounds like it's a very vicious cycle. It is a very vicious cycle. When I first started this process myself, it took me like two weeks to stop blaming because I'm a justifiable blamer. I'm kind of like, well, yeah, I get that it's not all your fault and that I'm probably having a reaction or I'm probably having something going on inside of me. So let's give it 50% as you and 50% as me. Like that's usually what I would do where I could say I can take responsibility. It takes two people, you know, those common things we say when we're having conflict with a person, but it has to be a hundred percent turning your affections towards yourself instead of looking at the other person as even a percentage of the problem. And this part really does irritate people and honestly irritated me in the beginning because that justice side of us wants to be able to find out who's right or wrong. And that's what blame loves to do. It finds out who's right or wrong and whoever's wrong gets the pain and whoever's right gets to feel better about themselves until the next pain comes up from being triggered. I can imagine that, yeah, people get upset. And I think one of the things that helped me as I was going through it is I, I, I really separated the right from wrong thing. Because I'm not, by stopping blame, I'm not saying that what that person did was okay. Exactly. Their and behavior is not okay. Yeah. That's what people hear sometimes at first. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what do you mean? You're saying what they did is okay? No, totally. we're not. Yeah. No, we're just saying that we're going to help you take care of you independent of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And then we can go back and address behavior, but there's a big difference about how we address behavior 
versus how we address when we blame it's who that person is that did it to me and I'm a victim to it and they're the villain in the story. But when we turn our affections back to ourselves, there's no longer villains in the story, which is such an important thing because we stay trapped in that blame of trying to find a villain in our life. And sometimes that villain's ourselves as well. We want to blame ourselves. We want to blame others. We even want to blame God sometimes because we have this pain that we don't know what how to take care of. And that's why the remote control exercise is just so valuable because it, it helps you go away from that blame cycle to actually take care of what was bothering you in the first place. Yeah, obviously that's the, the most important step because without that, we can't go to step two. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. So let's say, let's say we've, we've successfully paused and, yes. and <laughs> it we're takes moving. you two weeks. It's okay. It took me two weeks, but now All we right. have successfully done it. <laughs> yes. We've got the pause going. So then what do we do? So after that, now we're going to come to our heart and we're going to say, what's going on? We're going to start out with those bigger reaction emotions because those are the the first knee-jerk reactions we're going to feel when we're being triggered. And those reaction emotions will revolve around our fight, flight, or freeze. And that fight, flight, or freeze is actually going to cause us to um, have these reaction emotions because we really are having a wound that's being pressed on that's causing us to react. But we really want to feel our reaction emotions. A lot of us were taught that those bigger feelings are bad and wrong. And so we've really censored them, especially if you're a religious person, you've censored them because it's not okay to be angry. So we put angry away, but we're really we're annoyed, we're frustrated, but we still are having reactions. We've just censored them. So for the effectiveness of this exercise, you really want to get honest with yourself with your reactions. Instead of trying to like sugarcoat those big feelings, being able to say, I am angry. Because if we don't face those reactions and call them what they are and acknowledge what we're feeling in those really big ways, we can't walk through that door to get to the next step of the exercise. So be real honest with whatever reactions you're having and don't censor them because you feel shame because they're bad emotions. So the Bible talks about taking your thoughts captive. And the way this was once explained to me is that you can't take a thought captive. You won't let yourself think. Mm -hmm. So these emotions are a guide. So if we just bury them and suppress them, we're, we're not letting them show us what's going on inside of our Mm -hmm. heart. And we think, we think we have success in that. We said, okay, don't be angry. Okay. I'm going to work real hard, not being angry, Mm -hmm. but guess what? Yeah. It's going to come out somewhere and probably (laughs) not. (laughs) It's probably going to come out on the person closest to you that you love the most. Mm -hmm. Yep. Even if they didn't start it, it's going to come out in that way because the reason why the people closest to us cause us to trigger the most is because they're the ones that get the closest to our pain. Yeah. And that's why we look at it. We say, why would the people we love the most trigger us the most? And that's why they're the ones that see, you know, we have to be the most real with, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep. Yep. And they, and actually, you know, that's a good point. You know, if somebody that was close to you, if you ask them, Hey, what are my reactions when I'm in, you know, my reaction emotions, I bet they would help you out by being able to say you are angry versus no, I'm just a little frustrated or just a little annoyed. Yeah. They're like bull. Yeah. We know the real story. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So then uh, once we've, once we've felt these reaction emotions, actually, you know, when I, when I first was writing my notes, I'll just show you like to how much I wanted to get past that reaction emotion. I actually wrote in my notes, work through it till you get past them. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> get rid of them quickly. <laughs> I'm just like, move right through. And uh-huh. like, no, we're, we don't want to, we don't want to approach this as a getting past them. We want to approach this as we're going to be honest with them. We're going to let our heart we're going to let our heart communicate to us what it's feeling. Yeah. 
and you know and then we can take the next step which is to to walk through i call it like a doorway of our reaction emotions which again like you just said need to be felt to be able to walk through so then i would just keep saying when i first started it i would just keep saying what else what else and i'm acknowledging it i'm angry okay what else i feel helpless what else i feel sad so then once you've gone through those reaction emotions, and a lot of times what happens is you'll start out with like the bigger ones, and then they'll almost kind of be medium ones. And then we'll get to the, the more tender emotions, which is sad, scared, lonely. And those three emotions are the softer emotions. And it might be a combination of those three, but it'll always be some form of sad, scared, or lonely. That'll be our tender emotions. They all boil down to just those three. Yep. They only, they boil down to those three because when we are in our triggered state, we're in our child brain and our child brain can only access those primary emotions, which are our most tender emotions. If you walked up to a five-year-old and you said, what's, what are you feeling? They're not going to say, well, I feel very rejected. I also feel abandoned. And I feel, you know, these, you know, sophisticated emotions, they're going to be because they're a children. They're going to say they're sad or scared or lonely or angry. Those are the primary emotions that they're going to feel. So when we're in our reaction emotions, if we funnel it down, those are the only three that we would be connecting to. And they're also the most tender, most vulnerable. That's sad, scared, and lonely is our true wound. Yeah. And I think you've shared before that anger is just unprocessed, Mm -hmm. sad, scared, or lonely. Exactly. When we don't get that comfort we need for those tender emotions, then it gets suppressed, suppressed, and then it comes out angry. All right. So if we've identified the soft emotion, then where do we go? So then from that soft emotion, the next one is, what do you need? And sometimes when we get to this part, people will be like, if the if say a person was rude to you, they'll be like, the person needs to say sorry. If the person says they're sorry, then I'm going to be okay. But we have to remember that they're paused. They can't give anything to us. They can't do anything to us in this moment because we're walking through ourself through this process. So number, number, I think it's three in that is, um, is it number three? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number yeah. three is, um, what do you need? And so now we're going to, we've talked about in previous episodes, the 10 gifts, those 10 Get gifts are 10 basic emotional needs. So now we want to be able to look at those 10 and circle or highlight whatever ones we need in that moment. Usually it's about two or three, sometimes four that you need. It's not always all of them usually in that moment, but it'll be multiple ones that you have a need for. So ultimately you're taking this big feeling of trigger and you're bringing it down to your tender emotions, which is a small space. It feels so big in the beginning, but once you get tender, it's small. And then from that, you're saying, what does this sadness need? And then some of the gifts, some of the needs are the sadness needs to be seen. The sadness needs affection. The sadness needs protection. And you're actually taking care of that wound with these emotional needs being applied to them. So the picture I'm getting as you're talking is that you have this big, out of control, sometimes reaction. Mm -hmm. And underneath all of that, there's really a hurting little boy. Mm-hmm. or hurting little girl. The key with this is kind of drilling down to that hurt, you know, connecting with and coming down to and seeing, hearing, you know, whatever, whatever of the 10 gifts that you need to connect with mm-hmm. um, that little, that little boy or little girl. In a trigger, like we've talked about in our previous triggered um, episode, when you're in a triggered state, you are in your child brain. And so it's going to be a child 
pain, a child's sadness that you're experiencing. And again, like I said in the episode, it's not so strange. It's just like your child self is like popping up in your trigger. It's more of that part of your brain that didn't get what it needed is still kind of agitated or irritated, which causes a reaction, which causes that trigger because that sadness or scared or lonely was never taken care of in our early childhood development. So ultimately we're going back to take care of what is being triggered in the present day that didn't get taken care of when we were children. So this is a lot less about the event that triggered us. <laughs> yep, and you start, yep. If you're engaging properly in the exercise, you'll start to kind of start feeling this distance from whatever happened where in the beginning, it was right in front of your face. This was the problem. But as you start to take care of yourself, that problem starts to feel further and further away because you're actually connecting to what's really going on inside of you. Yeah. No, that's good. And it, it's, it's not uncommon doing this exercise to even sometimes have a memory of being little as well when you're feeling your sadness, because that sadness reminds you of when you felt sadness when you were younger. Well, that's really good. So that was step three, you know, identifying with what you need and connecting back to the 10 gifts. And yeah. that was uh, a previous episode if you want to learn more about those specific 10 gifts. But then the next step is to show yourself compassion. And this is kind of like the, it's not a secret ingredient, but it is the secret ingredient um, because this is actually what we've, we're, this is an exploring and discovering exercise, like I said. So we've been discovering and exploring our reaction emotions, our more tender emotions. We've been exploring what our so now that we've been able to recognize what those things are, now we're able to go and comfort and show compassion to those places that we've now become connected to. That in the beginning, we couldn't even see, but now we can see so we can properly comfort. And so the self-compassion is one of the trickier parts of the exercise, though, because we have a hard time taking care of ourselves and taking care of those soft emotions and recognizing what our needs are because we're adverse to pain because we're pushing pain away and that now we've, we've come to this place where we're connected with it. And sometimes instead of showing self-compassion, we'll naturally want to kind of reject ourselves in those moments. And then the compassion can feel kind of uh, trite, or it can be feel like we're just trying to say the right things again, to fix the problems we've now discovered, but we want to stay connected with what we're feeling. And again, not to fix it, but to care for that sadness. If that's something that you came to realize is your wound was sadness to care for that sadness. Like you would care for your child, like you would care for a best friend that you would actually be moved with a feeling for that person. And that's what creates this empathetic, compassionate response to our emotions. Mm -hmm. So that self-compassion is really key. And we did, we did our episode on compassion. And I think that would be help helpful. I think for people to refer back to that because yeah, you know, one of the things you talk about with compassion is that it starts with you and ends in a party <laughs> Yeah, and, and compassion really is the doorway to letting others in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God. exactly. Yeah. Sometimes people kind of go through the remote control exercise and kind of feel maybe a little lonely. Let's say that you sifted through your reaction emotions and you realize I'm really lonely. And then I'm telling people, now you need to walk yourself through this process by yourself. And so a lot of people get triggered. Their loneliness gets triggered because they're thinking the whole reason I want to do this exercise is because I feel lonely and now I have to take care of myself by myself. And so that can kind of bring up some, you know, 
another trigger, another reaction in that moment. But what I say is that we're actually the most powerful advocate for ourselves because nobody knows our heart and what we're feeling and what we're thinking. Apart from God, no one knows us the way that we know ourselves. So we become this powerful advocate because we know what's going on inside of us that we can actually connect with and care for. So when I start the process of self-compassion, I'm like the gatekeeper of my heart. And when I start to treat myself with comfort and nurture and compassion, it opens up my gate, my heart to be able to be loved by others in the same way. But if I'm shaming myself, blaming myself, not being able to give myself compassion because I have a form of self-hatred or I'm pushing myself away, if another person came and tried to love me in that place, they would not be able to get close to me because that gate of my heart would be shut because if I'm not willing to go to that place, I'm not going to be able to be willing to let anyone else to go to that place either. So like you said, once we open up that gate with self-compassion, it ends in a party where God and others can come in and be with us in that place of discovery that now we know where our wound is and what's going on. And so not only can we take care of it, but we can also invite other people to come and comfort us in that same way. And I think you bring up an interesting thing when you talk about letting God in, because I think some people, especially you know, religious minded folks would want to just have God. They would mm-hmm. just want to go right straight to God in this process and just be yeah. like, I want to bypass all this stuff you're talking about. I just want to go straight to God. <laughs> yeah, all but better. What, <laughs> but what they don't realize is that subconsciously they're blocking him too. Yep, exactly. We're not allowing him to go to those places because if we're not willing to go there, we're only letting God come to the surface of it. And usually, again, if you're religious minded, you want you feel like you have to be good. And so we only invite God into the good emotions that we're having. And then if we're having bad emotions, we want to clean them up real fast and then we can invite God into it. But we don't usually feel like we can invite God into those messy emotions because we're hiding them from ourselves just as much as we're hiding them from him. And that actually reminds me, I think I might've mentioned it before, but it reminds me how I started this process is God was telling me that I was medicating with him. I would have these reaction emotions come up, but because I didn't know how to take care of them, or at times I didn't want to take care of them, I would push them back down and I would turn to God to feel better, but I didn't actually take care of it. I didn't invite him into it. I didn't acknowledge it for myself, but I would feel better because if you, if you do worship or you pray or you do certain things like that, it actually releases endorphin serotonin that makes you feel better, but it's just like medication. It makes you feel better, but it doesn't actually take care of the root issues. It only takes care of the symptoms. And so we have to perpetually always keep going back to God in this frantic place for him to be with us because we're not allowing him to come in to those emotions that that we feel shame in. Well, and that's describing it with God. And I, I would think that a lot of relationships, human relationships are that way too, husband, wife, mm-hmm. you know, think things along those lines where yeah. the husband or the wife is going to their partner or girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I need them there to make me feel better, but, mm-hmm. and really it ends, it's kind of sad because it really blocks true intimacy. Yep. Because true we're really, companionship. we're really using that person to medicate those feelings. But if we actually took care of it, then we'd have true intimacy. So you're completely right. It definitely takes away from intimacy because we're medicating. And really, if you want to be honest, we're using another person to make us feel better. Instead well, of actually sounds kind of harsh when you put it that way. But. <laughs> I know exactly, but it is. And like people make it look like love because they're addicted to the person, but they're really addicted to how that person makes them feel because they don't know how to take care of themselves. And really at the end of the day, who wants to be in a relationship with someone that's unintentionally or sometimes intentionally using you 
addicted to you and medicating with you. It's not quite the relationship that I think any of us are looking for, but unfortunately that's what we do a lot with people and with God. But God is very gracious and he graciously revealed to you um, yes, what, he what did. He doing. was. So. Yeah. And it was so much, um, like you said, um, so much more intimate mm-hmm. after that because he could come into every emotion I experienced, not just the quote unquote good emotions. Very good. All right. Last step. So now we've gotten to the end. If we've properly been able to apply this, we're going to now take our remote control back and we are going to unpause the person or circumstance. And now we're going to look back at that circumstance from a different perspective because we now know our reactions. We know our tender emotions. We know what our needs are and we've shown ourselves compassion. And now our heart, um, in a lot of ways, I like to say it's settled. And one thing I always like to tell people is we're not robots. So the goal of this isn't to get to the end. And now I feel nothing at all. I feel perfectly fine. You know, it's not meant to be like that. But what we're trying to do is help you in that triggered state. If you're at a eight, nine or a 10, your brain's not working correctly. You're stuck in your trigger. This is an anchoring to be able to anchor you back to yourself, to be able to look at this circumstance in a different way. So it doesn't change your external world, but taking care of your internal world allows you to see your external world from a different perspective. And when you talked about trigger eight, nine, or 10, you're in your child brain then. Mm -hmm. But if you could come out of this and be in a four or five or six, you can access your adult brain. You can access higher level reasoning. You can apply logic to the situation. And the whole situation looks differently. And the interesting thing I've found about the process is that after you go through that, you go into it thinking like that person needs to do this. This situation has to change. This doctor report has to be X. Yeah. But when you get done with this, you're like, well, do I really need to address the issue? Maybe not. Yeah. Cause a lot of times once we've walked through it, it's something we recognize it was so much inside of us. It's not really a need to address it externally, but at times you will feel like you still need to address it. But if you're not in a triggered state and you're connected to your true self and you're at peace and you're addressing an issue, you're going to do it so much differently than if you're stuck in your reaction emotions, trying to confront a behavior or an issue. So we've we've talked about the process. We've kind of hinted at this a little bit, or you have, about some reasons why this doesn't work. So mm-hmm. do you want to maybe just elaborate a little bit more on yeah, that? Yeah, I kind of touched on them while we were explaining it, but I'll kind of elaborate. So the top three reasons I find that it doesn't work for people is number one, on the first step, if we cannot pause the person or circumstance and stop blaming, then it's not going to be effective because if your eyes are on something else and not on yourself through this process, you're not going to be able to receive the full um, you know, comfort of this exercise. And so we have to, we have to have a hundred percent eyes on ourselves, not to blame ourselves, but to be with ourselves in this exercise for it to be effective. So no percentage of blame, a hundred percent on us. And then the second way it doesn't work is if we don't get tender. A lot of us do know or, or are familiar with our reaction emotions, but we don't know how to be tender because we never let that those reaction emotions lead us to the tenderness of our heart. And so now we have to practice being tender. And it's very common for people to stay in their reaction. And if we don't get tender, we can't receive comfort. And then number three is um, if we're not able to have substance connected to our compassion. And what I mean by that is if we don't have that feeling, like if you saw, a stri- uh, if you're a parent and you just saw a random child, 
and they fell down and got hurt. You would feel bad for them kind of universally that they got hurt because we don't want to see people get hurt, but you wouldn't jump up and go and run to them and hold them, pick them up and do whatever it took for them to be comforted like you would your own child. If your own child got hurt, you would want to go to them and hold them and love them and be with them because you want to be connected to them. And so we want to have that substance behind it. That's not just the, you know, they're there. I hope everything's okay. But it's actually a compassion that's moved for yourself, moved for that person. So the compassion has to have substance behind it. It can't just be words. One of the other things that you mentioned uh, to me in the past, so people might be thinking, well, what if I don't have time? Like Mm -hmm. this just came up, I'm at work or I'm doing something with my kids and and I just can't, you know, family life goes Mm -hmm. on, work life goes on. I can't take the time to do this right now. Mm -hmm. What's your suggestion then? Yeah. One of my suggestions in that moment and the most powerful one, I believe, is to be able to connect with compassion in the moment. Even if you can't figure out all the other steps of the exercise, just skip down to number four, show yourself compassion, be able to speak, you know, a couple of different words of compassion. What that does for your heart is it says, I hear you, I feel what you're feeling and I'm coming back for you. Even if it's in a couple hours, because I can't take care of it right now. And that creates a settling in our heart as well. It doesn't necessarily address the pain. It doesn't necessarily help us walk through the pain, but it helps our heart be able to know that help is coming which helps settle it as well. So you're kind of making an appointment with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You're making an appointment with yourself. I used to use that phrase a lot in the beginning and making an appointment with myself. I'm saying you matter, you're important. And I'm going to make an appointment with you to come back to you because I can't do it right in this moment. And that's similar to what you might do if you have children. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if you're at the store or they're having a come apart, mm-hmm. it's like you can't address it right exactly. that moment. Exactly you know, make an appointment with them to come back yep. to it. So you're coming it's, back to it when you can, but that shows them that you care and you're not just ignoring them or suppressing it. So one of my big take homes has been to, to relook at the remote control exercise. Cause at first, definitely I was doing it to get through it. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, what you have said not to do. That's what yeah. I was doing. <laughs> yep. And now I'm doing it more to be with myself. Mm-hmm. And I might not even get through all of the steps. Yep. That happens very commonly. And, but for me, it's success. If I was able to connect with my heart, Mm -hmm. check in, figure out, Hey, what's, what are you feeling? What's going on? And just, just from that standpoint, you know, success looks a lot different than how (laughs) I would have originally went into this and been like, Hey, if I'm not a three, when I'm at the end of this exercise, <laughs> then I failed. failed. Yeah. 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 No that gold aversion stars to pain. For me. <laughs> exactly. That aversion to pain really wants us to put a pretty bow on it and call it good. But this is an ongoing process of connecting to yourself that we're ultimately going to do for the rest of our lives. So would you like to share an example from uh, your you know, why don't, why don't yeah. you share an example? Because I kind of touched on a couple of the things that were hard for me in this process of, you know, I couldn't stop blaming and it was really hard. To, I didn't say this, but it was really hard to give myself compassion. I, when I would give myself compassion in the beginning, it would be like, there, there, it's going to be okay. Like that robot type thing. That's how I gave myself compassion in the beginning. Cause I could give compassion to other people all day long, but I didn't know how to give it to myself. And so that was really another hindrance. So I kind of was just sharing more of the hindrances that I had, but go ahead and share a personal example um, that you had walking through it. 
Sure. Yeah. I'm going to share, you know, I have lots of them, but I'm going to share one that was really vivid. Something happened at work. What happened is completely irrelevant, but (laughs) it had me very triggered. Yeah. So I went home from work and I was not going right to the remote control exercise. I was going to, I was going to my old go-tos of like, what do I do when I just want to be alone and take care of something? I'm like, I'm going to go mow the lawn (laughs) because mow the lawn is relaxing for me. And it's just, I can kind of check out of the world and put my, uh, my ear protection on and just kind of go, go mow the lawn, but it was not working this time. And (laughs) as I mowed the lawn, this issue at work kept stewing and stewing. And I just found myself getting more and more and more upset. So I had to stop mowing the lawn and I went in the house and I, and I got with my wife, Crystal, and I just explained, I said, I'm, I'm not okay. Yeah. And I, I really needed help. And this was a scenario where I was able to, and this is where I think true intimacy happens too. I was able to share my heart with her yeah, in a way that was also helping me share my heart with myself, you know? So I was able to let her in, tell her what was going on. And, and she kind of prayed with me some, and then I started to walk through this process. And as I was walking through, you know, pausing, Pausing actually came fairly easy because I was hurting so bad that I was able Mm -hmm. to just kind of, I'm like, I know, I know (laughs) that dwelling on this isn't working. So Mm -hmm. the pause actually came a little bit easier than it has for me at some other times. But I worked through that and worked through my, my angry emotions and all of that. And I really recognized what I was. I was sad. Yeah. At the very core, I was sad. And I was sad because what happened at work made me feel not valued. Mm-hmm. And all of this boiled down to a little boy who didn't feel valued. Yeah. And, and then I was able to spend some time kind of incorporating the 10 gifts and connecting back to the, where mm-hmm. have I experienced feeling valued before? Yeah. And I connected with a, a person that had mm-hmm. in their presence, I had felt the feeling of being valued and I mean, it was like a, a balloon lift. Like I had mm. something, a big lead weight, I guess, on my chest and somebody yeah. just lifted off of it, you know, and um, it was really profound. So I definitely went from like a nine or a 10. Yeah. And that was a case where I went down to the two or the three. Yeah, I know. It's sometimes it, if you feel bigger relief, I think the deeper we get into that, you were able to actually apply that value. And so it was able to actually relieve it even more than just being aware that you lacked value because awareness is not healing. You know, it's the awareness with applying the value that actually heals that can bring it down to really low triggered states. That's... Um... That's, that's one very vivid example of, mm-hmm. of walking through the process. And I like how you shared that about it being in a business, because how many people when they're, you know, when you're doing, you're at work and you're having issues, do you think I could be sad right now? You know, normally because it's business, you're thinking, nope, this is like a system error. This is a, you know, employee error. This is, a, you know, and, uh, you know, as a boss, this is a boss error. Like, and you're trying to find out what's right or wrong at work but we usually don't really think, oh, I actually have tender, vulnerable emotions coming up right now that need to be taken care of because we compartmentalize so strongly, you know, and maybe in your marriage, you would say those emotions that come up, but at work, a lot of people don't think those emotions are coming up, but by your example, it just shows us that those emotions are coming up, even if they're at work or they're even in places that you wouldn't think emotions are valid and important to feel. 
I always tell my staff that to think that there is uh, a personal life of you and a professional life, I'm like, <laughs> no, there's, there's just yeah. you there's and just you. <laughs> you in different settings and yep. <laughs> you can't be, you know, one person at work and another person at yeah. home. I mean, you are you, you know, yep, exactly. you are the wonderful you. And, mm-hmm. and you are on display no matter whether you're at home or whether yep. you're at work. And, uh, the, yeah, you're triggered or true at work or in professional life. Yep. And the goal in all of this is to live from your true self because yeah. who you are is, is perfect and it doesn't need mm-hmm. to be fixed. So. And that's why this exercise is so beneficial because when you get to that number five and you unpause, you've come back to your true self and you're looking at the world from that perspective and that changes everything, even if your external world doesn't change. So uh, as we conclude today, Laura, what would you like to, any last thoughts or anything you'd like to leave uh, everyone with? Yeah, I just say, you know, throw out your watch when you're doing this exercise, you know, don't put a time on it. Like Brian was saying, sometimes you might only get to a couple of the questions and you might have to come back to it later. It might take you a week to go through the process and that's okay because we don't have a time frame on this. You can take all the time you need just to go through each process in a way that you can actually connect to it versus just plowing through it to try to get rid of the trigger. Well, we'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of Triggered and True. And thank you, Laura, for sharing all of this wonderful wisdom. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Triggered and True. We hope that you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, go to triggeredandtrue.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click ask. And if you would like to learn more about the Compassion Method, be sure to check out the Compassion Method Master Course, which can be purchased at compassionmethod.net. And as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount, which can be obtained by typing in the coupon code podcast50. Again, that's compassionmethod.net, coupon code podcast50. Thank you again. Goodbye.